0: So by now you know that when Han and I lived here in Dallas 10 years ago, we attended Grace, uh, attended church here at Grace. We lived in a little garage apartment near North Park Mall, which I've told you about many times. And when we graduated from DTS, um, God called me, God called us and our family uh, to a pastoral ministry in Oklahoma. And so we began the process of packing up all of our belongings in that little two-bedroom garage apartment near North Park Mall. And in order to get us from Dallas, Texas to Stillwater, Oklahoma, I rented the biggest U-Haul truck that you could possibly rent. It was a 26-foot-long U-Haul truck. And I can remember to this day driving this gigantic truck through the traffic here in Dallas. But I can remember especially... Turning on, uh, we lived kind of at at Bodecker and Park, just a little bit north of there, and I can remember turning into the little alleyway, which was the only way to access the door to our two-bedroom apartment. And so so think about this with me. I'm here in this gigantic U-Haul truck, and I turn into a single lane, very narrow alleyway with this gigantic truck. And it was going really well. Believe it or not, I made my way through that narrow alley with this gigantic 26-foot U-Haul truck. But then I had a great idea. I thought, you know, it's really hard to load things into this truck and you're having to carry them such a long distance. So I decided to try to back this U-Haul truck up to the very door of our two-bedroom apartment in the little, this one little, you know, single-lane alleyway, right? So I pull it in our uh, our next-door neighbor's driveway, and I start this basically forty-six-point turn of navigating this gigantic twenty-six-foot truck to the front door of our two-bedroom apartment, and it went really well until I backed it up into the gutter of our little garage apartment. And I realized that day that driving a U-Haul truck is much easier said than done. I realized that day that I knew the dimensions of this truck. I knew the length, I knew the width, I knew the height and the depth, but it was one thing to know the size of this truck, it was quite another thing to experience actually driving this truck. And by the way, if you were to go down a trip on memory lane and see this little garage apartment where Han and i live that dent is still in the gutter <laughs> even though we did not get our security deposit back but when it comes to driving a 26 foot long u-haul truck it's certainly easier said than done and i'm sure you've all experienced situations in life where you know something in theory You can comprehend something mentally, but it's quite another thing to actually live it out in practice, right? Well, for two and a half chapters now here in the book of Ephesians, as we open our Bibles up to the book of Ephesians, for two and a half chapters, Paul has been laying the groundwork, the foundation, this solid theology of what God has done in bringing together Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ and reconciling Jew and Gentile together, but most importantly to God. And you can uh, see how Paul has been laying the foundation of his argument. And starting next week, he's going to begin to tell us and tell the church in Ephesus what it is to really live this out so Paul for two and a half chapters has been laying the foundation starting next week he's going to instruct the church in Ephesus of how to live out their united faith in Christ and you could say it's easier said than done and so recognizing the monumental task That lies ahead of the church in Ephesus. Recognizing that what he's about to say in chapters 4 through 6 is easier said than done, Paul prays this tremendous prayer here at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to take a look at Ephesians chapter 3. You can see there on your outline what we're going to do together this morning. First, we're going to take a look at the prayer then. And Paul recognizing the monumental task that lies ahead of the church in Ephesus. Praise this big prayer for them. So we're going to talk about the prayer then. And second, we'll talk about the prayer now. So grab your Bibles. Let me read for you the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Starting in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look first at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is the opening address of the prayer here that Paul has for the church in Ephesus Jew and Gentile together, reconciled in the body of Christ and reconciled to God. This is how Paul begins this prayer. He says, For this reason. Well, for what reason? Basically, everything we've seen, beginning in Ephesians 1, 1 through the midpoint of chapter 3, based on everything Paul has previously said, this amazing news that God has brought together Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ, that God has reconciled the body of Christ uh, through his Son to himself, based on all of this, Paul says, for this reason, notice, I bow my knees before the Father. This is a prayer. Paul is bowing his his knees before the Father. Now typically, just in kind of everyday life, uh, Jewish men in this time would typically pray standing with their arms out. But here, notice the posture of the Apostle Paul when he prays this prayer. He prays on his knees and this signifies the intensity of the prayer that Paul prays here. In other words, this is not just an everyday prayer of the Apostle Paul. This is an intense prayer. He bows his knees, notice, before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So Paul prays this intense prayer to God the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In describing the Father, he says the Father is the one from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name into the words God. The Father is the source, the name or the creator of of all people. He's the sovereign one. That's how Paul opens this prayer. That's the opening address. Now let's take a look at the Request. What does Paul pray when he prays when he bows his knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name? Well, notice the request we see in verse 16. Paul prays that he, God the Father, would grant you, or y'all, that God the Father would grant y'all according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So what does Paul pray when he intensely prays to the Father for the church in Ephesus? First, he prays that God would grant y'all When you see the word you here in these verses, think y'all. He's talking not only to the individual people in the church, he's talking to the church as a whole, the corporate group of the church, the Jews and Gentiles who have been reconciled to one another and collectively reconciled to God. He prays that y'all, that God would grant y'all according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. Paul is praying that the church in Ephesus would be strengthened spiritually strengthened. And notice this, this strengthening is according to the riches of his glory. In other words, what Paul is praying here is that God, according to the riches of his glory, would strengthen this church in Ephesus. That of the wealth of God's very being and existence, God would grant them the strength through his spirit, notice, in the inner man, in the core of who they are, to be strengthened, to be given the power. And then notice the result, the so what in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in y'all's hearts through faith. Paul prays this tremendous prayer, recognizing the enormous task that lies ahead of the Ephesians. Paul prays this tremendous prayer that God would grant according to the riches of his glory that the church in Ephesus collectively would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. I love this word dwell. It really means to me to be at home in. Here Paul is not praying for their salvation. That's already taken place. They've already trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Here Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that he would be at home in their hearts. This is really a prayer of sanctification. Paul prays that they would be given the strength and that Christ would make his home in their hearts. Think of it this way. My family now, we've been living Back in Dallas now for three months. We're here, we're physically here, but we're still learning what it is to be at home back in Dallas. As I told you last week, I'm not very good with navigating around the different streets, so I'm still learning the geography and how to get from point A to point B, right? I'm still learning what it is to be at home back in Dallas. What Paul is praying for here is recognizing that they've already been saved, he's praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that he would be at home in their hearts. This is a prayer of sanctification for the church in Ephesus. And then notice this, continuing in verse 17, so that, you may, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, here's the ultimate purpose, so that you, because you have been rooted and grounded in love, so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love? Verse 17, the end of verse 17, Paul Paul says that y'all being rooted and grounded in love. You could translate this as having already been rooted and grounded in love. These people have already experienced the love of God in terms of their justification They've already trusted in Jesus. They are rooted and grounded in Christ's love already. But now Paul is praying this prayer of sanctification. He's praying, notice verse 18, that they would be able to comprehend together with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of this love. I want you to notice that phrase, by the way. When Paul prays this prayer, He's praying that they would comprehend the love of Christ with all the saints. This is an important phrase. Like I said, every time you see the word you here, think y'all. And here Paul also throws in this idea of comprehending this love with all the saints. In other words, this is not just an individual task. It's something we do together, corporately, as the body of Christ. Dr. Honer who used to worship here before he went to be with the Lord, in his commentary on Ephesians, he says this. He says, True growth cannot occur in isolation from other people or in insulation with people who are exactly like you. He says, True Christian growth happens in association with all the saints, Those like you and those unlike you, like Jews and Gentiles together in the body of Christ. But what Paul prays here is that the corporate church there in Ephesus, that they would be able to comprehend, notice that word, verse 18, that they would comprehend together. Now the word comprehend here primarily refers to mental comprehension. To know something mentally. He prays that they would mentally comprehend notice the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love. That they would comprehend really the immeasurable love of Christ. He prays that mentally they would grasp that they would understand really the immeasurable love of Christ but he doesn't just leave it at purely the intellectual level because notice what he says next in verse 19 he prays first that they would comprehend mentally the breadth and length and height and depth but verse 19 also that they would know and that word is really an experiential knowing that they would experience the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I love this. I love this prayer of Paul. This is one of my favorites. Notice what Paul is praying here. He prays this huge prayer, this big prayer. He prays that God would strengthen them in the inner inner person through his spirit, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would mentally measure the immeasurable, and that they would comprehend experientially the incomprehensible love of Christ that they would mentally measure the immeasurable, that they would experientially comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. Like I said earlier, it's one thing to know the dimensions of that U-Haul truck. I knew how wide it was, 26 foot long. I knew how high it was. It was one thing to know the dimensions of it. It was another thing to drive it through a narrow alley, right? And Paul prays here that they would know the immeasurable love of Christ and also that they would experience the incomprehensible love of Christ. Think about this. Here Paul says that God the Father from whom every family on earth, heaven and on earth derives its name. God the Father knows you infinitely more intimately than you can even know yourself. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought, every intention of your heart, the good and the wicked. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows just how incredibly sinful we are. And yet what we see here as well, the comfort we see here, is that he also loves us with an immeasurable and incomprehensible love. He knows the very wickedness of our heart and yet he loves you anyway and listen I want to emphasize this here for just a moment for those of you in this room for those of you watching online if you are not thoroughly convinced of God's love for you even in your sinfulness. Even as a sinner, God loves you with an immeasurable, incomprehensible love. And he demonstrated that love by sending his son to die on the cross for you. And if you've not trusted in him, if you've not accepted the free gift of the forgiveness and salvation that comes in Christ and in Christ alone, I want to beg you where you are, where you're watching at home, to trust in his son to accept freely the gift of this love that he has for you. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that they would mentally know and experientially live out this tremendous love. And then notice verse 19, that you may be filled up. Here's kind of the ultimate purpose. He wants them to know and experience the immeasurable, incomprehensible love of Christ so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, that they may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The fullness of God here, this expression is a, a phrase that is used to describe God's moral perfection, his moral attributes and his excellencies. God, uh, or Paul is praying that the Ephesians would be filled up to the moral perfection of who God is, that in their life they would live out in other words, this tremendous love that's been given to them, that the moral character of God would be lived in them and through them. And that's basically what he explains starting in chapter 4 through 6. And Paul recognizes that this is a tremendous task that lies ahead of them. And so Paul prays a tremendous prayer. Paul prays that God the Spirit would strengthen them in their inner being, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would mentally comprehend and experientially live out the love of Christ, and that they would be filled up to the moral moral perfection of who God is. This is a huge prayer of the Apostle Paul. This is a big ask. You could say it's easier said than done. And Recognizing what a tremendous ask this is, the fact that this is easier said than done notice what paul says in verses 20 and 21 almost anticipating that we would object and say paul this is an unrealistic prayer notice what he says not to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or even think according to the power that is already at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Recognizing the enormous task that lies ahead of the Ephesians, what he's going to start laying out in chapter four. Recognizing that He's asking them, he's praying that they would comprehend and live out the immeasurable uh, love of Christ. Paul says, now to him who is able. To him who is able to do just what Paul has asked. To him who is able, Paul says. Notice the superlatives that Paul uses here. Not only is God able, but God is able to do far more abundantly. Not only is God able to do far more abundantly what we ask, but notice God is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or even what we think is possible. And notice it's according to the power that is already at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And Paul concludes his prayer with amen. Paul is about to lay before the church in Ephesus, starting in chapter four, what it is to live out in love their position in Christ. For two and a half chapters, he's laid before them that They've been raised up with Christ. They've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places that the very resurrection of Jesus' life is being lived out in them. And he's gonna start in chapter four laying out exactly, practically what this looks like and realizing what a tremendous task lies ahead of them. He prays this big prayer that they would be strengthened, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would comprehend the love of Christ, that they would be filled up to the moral perfections of God. This prayer really is the segue, the transition point between the foundation Paul has been laying for two and a half chapters to the practical application point starting in chapter four, which we'll see next week. This was Paul's prayer then. Now, let's take a look in your outline number two. How do we take this prayer of Paul and apply it now, today? A couple of thoughts I wanna share with you. Number one is just like we see throughout this prayer, in that word "y'all," and in that phrase "together with all the saints," reminding ourselves of that quote from Doctor Honer I read just a few minutes ago. That this type of growth, this type of love, this prayer of sanctification can really only be be lived out in the context of community, biblical Christian. Church community. Again, Dr. Honer says this Paul desires that what was true positionally, they're in Christ, would also be true experientially in the lives of the Ephesian believers. Dr. Honer says, a divided church, on the other hand, Instead of being a sign of God's power in Christ, instead reflects the negative message of a victory by the forces of evil. He says the body of believers is to experience Christ's love together. In other words, the first thing I want you to see here is the importance of the body of Christ, the importance of being involved in biblical community together, and the importance, as we'll see in chapter 4, of living out our faith together as one united body of Christ. This is one of the reasons currently we're making a big deal of our community groups as we're hopefully moving past a point of a lot of division in churches all over our country and in our world as a whole. We hope that you're involved in healthy biblical community. You can talk to Pastor Bob next week if you're interested in joining one. That's the first thought. The second thought I have for you here, the main thing I want to emphasize is this prayer itself. And in many ways, the importance of this prayer. Paul is about to start challenging them in chapter four with some big asks, a monumental task that lies ahead of the church in Ephesus, of really what Paul wants them to do as they live out their faith together with one another, as it impacts the home, husband and wife relationship. These are going to be fun verses when we see them. But recognizing what he's about to say, Paul prays this tremendous prayer for the church in Ephesus. It's a big ask because he knows that this type of love does not come naturally. The type of love that Paul has in mind here is a supernatural love. It's a love that is immeasurable and incomprehensible. It's not what you would naturally do, especially when you throw a bunch of opposing people like Jews and Gentiles together in one room. Paul prays a tremendous prayer. Because I think as a pastor, he's burdened by what lies ahead. In the first service, I said that I'm going off script, and I'm going to go off script again. I think it went across okay in the first service, so you can tell me. Um, I woke up this morning and decided to take this in a slightly different direction um because yesterday uh, yesterday was kind of a rough day for me as a pastor, not because of anybody in this room or anything you have done, uh, but because of some people in Wyoming who I still dearly love um and and have a burden for them still people who I have loved and walked life with for for many many years uh, but yesterday in the morning, I got word that one of the former Chairman of the Elder Board uh, Died About a month and a half Or two months ago He got diagnosed with liver cancer And (laughs) died yesterday And I just wrestled with that For a lot of the day yesterday Uh, Not that I regret at all being here But as a pastor With people I've loved for six years uh, My heart continues to go out To the church there And to this man's family That's how my day began And then yesterday evening, I got a phone call from another guy in the church who was a deacon, had been a deacon, and told me that his wife is leaving him. And again, these are people I've loved for a long time. These are real hurts that they have. And and part of me wrestled with the thought of, you know, not physically being able to be with them and shepherd them. And literally, this morning, as I was thinking about this prayer of Paul, Paul's really in a similar position, right? He's in prison. He knows the monumental task that lies ahead of the church in Ephesus, what he's going to call them to do to live out their faith in Jesus. But he's not with them physically. So, what does Paul do? He prays. He prays. And I'm sure there are some of you in this room this morning who you have people in your life that you love. Maybe they're wayward children or friends who used to walk with the Lord and have walked away or you know solid believers in your life who are just going through a rough time and you're wondering what to do, what can I do to help these people? I would offer to you, pray this prayer for them. What better thing can we do as the body of Christ than to submit these things to God the Father, the one from whom we all derive our name? That we pray that one another together in the good times and bads would know and live out the love of Christ that's available to us, whether we're there in person or not. And so exactly, that, that's exactly what I want you to do as we think about applying this passage. I've given you some application questions. And your one thing for this, for this week is this week, as often as you feel led, pray this prayer for our church. Now, starting this morning, you can just, for our church or for anybody in your life who needs this prayer. My original thought was praying this prayer for Grace Bible Church, which is a fantastic thing to do. Um, But maybe there's people in your life who don't go to this church, and you can pray this prayer for them as well. And let me tell you what this is going to look like uh, for me this week. Uh, this, by the way, is not thus saith the Lord, this is the, thus saith Jace, okay? Uh, but the way I'm going to pray this prayer this week, I'm going to commit to you, is I'm going to pray this exact prayer for this church three times a day for the next week. At 8 a.m., noon, and 8 p.m., I'm going to pray through this prayer for you. I'll just to spice it up a little bit, use different translations of the Bible, but I want to invite you to join me in this of getting behind a tremendous prayer of the Apostle Paul and leaning into the the love of Christ that's available to us and, and depending on the power of God, which Paul talks about in verse 16, that he would strengthen us together as the church here and around the world for the monumental task that lies ahead of us. So to close, let me pray this prayer for us for all gospel-preaching churches around us, if you would join me in prayer. This is from the New Living Translation. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever.